Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics podcast. You are here with myself, Ferris, and my usual compatriot, Gordon. Today is the 9th of May, and the price of Bitcoin is 58580 The block height is 682679 Now, Gordon, what is our query for today? What are we uh, talking about in this episode? Before, Ferris, I give today's question, there is one statistic that you forgot in the proof recording, and that is that $1 is currently worth 1,695 Satoshis, which is maybe a stat we we might actually uh, continue with. So how could I forget something that we've never done before? But thank you. Because you should have read my mind. So... (laughs) I, don't want to go. I do not want to travel into that no, right all. No, There's no way don't. out. <laughs> Multiple rabbit holes. So let's play today's question. Can Bitcoin be fractionalized indefinitely? Thanks for the question, Ken. And you can record your own question. Go to bitcoinbasics.help and there's a link there to ask us a question. And we'll answer on an upcoming episode like this one. So Faris, before I get into it, how about you? What's your take on Ken's question? Um, so yeah, Gordon, I went down. So there's two ways of answering this question. Can Bitcoin be fractionalized? We'll address that. Um, I actually also started looking at, can it be fractionally reserved? Um, so I did some research into that. I, I'm pretty sure Ken meant the first one, which is how many Satoshis can we divide Bitcoin into. But since I did research into Bitcoin fractional reserve, we figured we might as well uh, give that answer as well. Um, So how about, yeah, first, what what did you think the question was actually asking asking Gordon? Not what you thought it to mean, but I want you to answer it first. (laughs) All right. So let me address fractional reserve. So fractional reserve is what banks do to basically multiply deposits on hand. So if Gordon goes into a a bank and he provides $100,000, the bank will then lend me, said, will lend me um, $200,000. And basically what they're doing is they are, they only have to keep um, somewhere between three and 10% of Gordon's um, $100,000 on deposit. So he puts in $100,000, they need to keep at least 3000 on deposit. And then they're going to lend that out to me and the other 100000 I get from another customer. So what that means is that if every customer in a bank went in and said, I want my cash, that's not going to happen because they have um, created this house of cards where fractional reserve means you only need to keep a fraction of the reserve, the reserve being Gordon's $100,000. He put that in reserve and he can't withdraw all of it at once. He can, but not every single client can go into said bank and withdraw all their funds at once. That will create what's called a bank run. And anyone here is a bank run. Most people um, would be familiar with the um, movie, It's a Wonderful Life, um, where that's explained. 
So can Bitcoin be fractionally reserved? The answer is no. So we are now seeing Bitcoin-based loans, collateral-based loans. So BlockFi, for example, you can actually put your Bitcoins into BlockFi and get a loan in US dollars. So the big problem that people had is say you bought some Bitcoin at $10,000. Um, it's gone up fivefold since, and you actually want to buy a house, but you don't want to spend your Bitcoins because you believe there's another 10x um, value growth in those. So you're, at, you're in this decision, I want to buy a house, but I don't want to spend my Bitcoins because I think they'll go up in value. So what do I do? Well, now BlockFi has presented a solution. You can send them your five Bitcoins. They will hold it in reserve and provide you with a loan to purchase your property. So what they're doing is holding your Bitcoins, but lending you US dollars. They're not, you're not going to repay them in Bitcoin interest. That's impossible because we cannot create more than um, the supply of Bitcoin. With banks, they're using fiat currency, and that fiat is created daily, weekly, monthly by reserve banks. They will just print dollars, yen, euros. That doesn't happen with Bitcoin. We are not creating more than the original 21 million Bitcoins. The supply of Bitcoin is predetermined. So Bitcoin is used as a collateral. The loan is denominated in fiat currency. So you cannot have fractional reserve banking of Bitcoin itself. So that, that was my take on it, Gordon. How about you maybe answer Ken's question as he intended? No, that's good, Faris. And even if that wasn't his intended question, I think that's extremely important because a lot of people are actually putting their money into BlockFi, I think you mentioned, and some other, I think, Lend.io. By the way, we are not endorsed or sponsored by any of these companies. I don't know about you, Faris, but uh, I would think twice before giving your Bitcoin, which is essentially what you do, to these companies because they are actually, um, you're basically losing complete control and ownership of it. So, if you give your Bitcoin to, for example, BlockFi, and I'm not picking on them, they own your Bitcoin. Now, they do all kinds of security and multi-sig and whatever, but you do not own your Bitcoin. So um, please be aware that you are basically giving them your Bitcoin for the sake of, I don't know, what is it? It's like 6 or 8% per year. Yeah, so you do receive a percentage return. That can change, though. So people who recently put their Bitcoins in BlockFi have had that interest rate reduced. So that was a deposit, but same thing as well. Like um, they are banking on the value of those Bitcoins going up and you could, how will they handle a bank run on Bitcoin? If all the clients that sent them their Bitcoins and those Bitcoins are being used as collaterals, well, how's it going to happen if all of a sudden there are people go, oh, I sold my house, I want my Bitcoins back. And how does that work? So Still early days, um, but I mean, we are seeing this as the new frontier and we are seeing what the services that banks provided are now being provided on the Bitcoin-based ecosystem. Yeah, and without going too much into it, I personally think, not financial advice, my own personal opinion, uh, it is insanity to loan your Bitcoin to those things. But as Farah said, there are... Um, some use cases if you need a loan and you don't want to sell your Bitcoin. But yeah, I, I would be really hesitant about uh, loaning to a third party where you have no control, not your keys, not your coins. So Faris, unless there's nothing else, let's answer the real question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like and share so we can find others like yourself. Um, so I think Ken was talking about fractionalized 
fractionalizing Bitcoin sort of to infinity. And this is a topic that's been around for years and years and years. And I think there was a recent Reddit post and they looked at a pizza and it's like, oh, well, if you divide a pizza in half, then uh, you still got one pizza, but two halves and you can keep dividing it, blah, blah, which of course is a false analogy because at, at some stage a pizza can't be divided anymore. It's just going to be sort of uh, crumbs and bits of bread. But Bitcoin being digital, it can. Now, uh, perhaps before we even start, Faris, how about you tell us what is a Satoshi? So Bitcoin has eight decimal points. So um, for example, you look at $100, well, it's $100 and or and zero, zero cents or $99.99. So you have those two decimal points after every dollar. So with Bitcoin, it's got eight decimal points. Um, real world scenario is why would you need so many? Well, in the event that one Bitcoin would be worth $1 million, then that very last decimal point would be the equivalent of one US cent. So if it goes to $10 million, then it's 10 cents. Because if one Bitcoin goes to $100 million, then that last decimal point equals $1. So Satoshis, which is still not part of the vernacular um, in mainstream media, and it's something that we're, we're trying to work on, um, really helps people buy Bitcoin. Because I mean, I still talk to people who go, I can't afford to buy Bitcoin at $50,000. It's like, well, no, you can buy $5 worth of Bitcoin. That people go, oh, really? I didn't know that. Um, dollar cost averaging, people still don't know. So technically, you're not buying Bitcoins, you're buying Satoshis. It's like buying cents. So Bitcoin can go um, in the original white paper. It has eight decimal points. Um, however, we have seen some projects since where we can go even smaller than that. And this is something that you're actually more um, in tune with than I am, Gordon. How, like, how, how many smaller Satoshis can we go? Well, you can go up to the point of infinity just, just in front of that, which, of course, doesn't make any sense. Um, you can basically go to how many decimal points that you need to go to. So if it, in the future, you know, we, we're on a Bitcoin standard, which may be a long way off, and we have an economy where prices are actually going down. So your purchasing power or your buying power is actually going up. Prices are actually going down. So, you know, something that costs $2 is $1 and then it's one cent and blah, blah. So if that's a problem, we can change the Bitcoin protocol from eight decimal points to 10 decimal points or 15 or 20. Um, that would be a little bit of a pain as many people know in the Bitcoin moves very slowly. Things happen extremely slowly and that's by design. Uh, but that could be done. And so I think it's just as simple as we would just change it from eight decimal points to 10 to 15 to 20. Um, the Lightning Network has started to do that. So you get something called a sub-Satoshi. So remember, Faris mentioned that um, one Satoshi is basically um, to the eighth decimal point. And I mentioned the statistic of $1 is the equivalent of 1,695 Satoshis. I would love for exchanges to be using that kind of vernacular, that uh, vocabulary. Because when, as Faris mentioned, when you go to an exchange, and you see Bitcoin at 55,000, you see Ethereum at 2,000, you see XRP at $1.50, people are buying it. So it would be amazing to see people start to use Satoshis and start buying, you know, 1,000 Satoshis. I mean, 1,695 Satoshis is currently on the 9th of May, $1. So why couldn't you buy 2,000 Satoshis or 5,000 Satoshis? I, I, I think that would be fantastic. And 
in economics, that's what we call a unit bias. So Bitcoin is definitely suffering from that unit bias. And I think that's something we need to change ASAP. Yeah, so to answer Ken's question, look, you can, yeah, go indefinitely, but at the moment, like a thousand Satoshis is 60 cents US dollars, just, just below that. Um, now, when you're adding things up in your head, um, it's so much easier to go, you know, you know $7.27. Now, these days, no one uses the penny that America used to have. Um, people are actually holding on to the old copper pennies because the copper inside that is worth more than one cent. So we're finding now that, um, you know, people, not many people like math and it's just easier to use dollars. Um, and it just gets more complex, the bigger the numbers. So countries that had runaway inflation, like, um, uh, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, all these places when they literally were just stamping a new, um, value on old paper coins, well, it just confused. It just didn't really do anything. So it, there is no real world case scenario to go smaller than one Satoshi because one Satoshi is 0.00058 USD. What's that going to get you? You're not thinking along those lines. Like, you know, you need, you know, when a thousand Satoshis is half a buck, why do you need to go smaller than that? So eventually, uh, as Bitcoin goes up and up and up in price, the value of each Satoshi will rise. So yes, you can do it, but what's the real case scenario? What are you actually benefiting from doing that? Well, the answer is yes, it could be a problem in about 50 years, maybe more than that. And we'll add two decimal points to the protocol when that happens. And when, and this is something I'd like to emphasize, when Goran says we, this is the beauty about Bitcoin is a truly democratic nature of it is, um, yeah, that people need to, like with Federal Reserve Banks at the moment, they're just printing money and they're unelected officials and yeah, um, they can basically do what they like and it's, they've caused what is a K market recovery where the, you know, rich are getting richer and poor are getting poorer. With Bitcoin, it's the people that are involved in Bitcoin that decide what happens. So this is why, coming from an international relations background that I do, what really just kicked me into Bitcoin is understanding it is decentralized and it is, to me, pure democracy at work. Pure market forces, pure democracy at work, unfiltered and unsaturated by politicians who have a, basically have a moral hazard. Sounds amazing, Ferris. Maybe we should get some. <laughs> um, and I think, well, yeah. No, sorry, you go, Gordon. I was just going to say, and, and I think the confusion, and this is my last point, you know, Ferris, I have to get the last word in. The confusion with uh, people is that when they see 0.1 Bitcoin, for example, just as a round number, they sort of equate that to real world, a real world coin or something. And I've got 0.1, I've got one tenth of a coin, which obviously doesn't make sense in a digital world. But also that's not true in Bitcoin either, because usually you don't really have 0.1 Bitcoin for one Bitcoin address. So the difference with Bitcoin is that when you're dividing things, you have to look at Bitcoin addresses, not actual Bitcoins, if that makes sense. So for example, if you look at your Bitcoin wallet and you're lucky enough to have 0.1 Bitcoin, which is $5,500 at, at the day of this recording, you might not just have one Bitcoin transaction of 0.1 Bitcoin. You might have you know, 0.003 Bitcoin from this exchange or your friend sent you some money or whatever. 
So that 0.1 Bitcoin might actually be 10 different transactions from all different places, all coalesced into your wallet. And your wallet just sort of obfuscates. It just sort of uh, hides all that complexity in the background. And it just shows you to balance a 0.1 Bitcoin. But actually on the blockchain, that's 10 separate transactions. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the other thing I love about Bitcoin. People kind of want to know the intricacies of mining and all this. And we say, okay, you don't need to really understand all that. It's like you don't really know what's how the plumbing of your own banking system works. We can explain this to you, but yeah, it's this is yeah, the true beauty of Bitcoin is you know getting to understand the basics of it. Absolutely. So if they want to know the basics of Bitcoin, Faris, where do they go? Uh, bitcoinbasics.help and if you have any questions comments um, you can even upload your own queries as ken just did and we're very grateful ken we hope you answered your question if we haven't hit us up again and um, yeah please submit any queries yep tom cool all right thanks for watching or listening Please visit coincompass.com free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.